Good morning, church. Welcome to Spirit of Prophecy Church. Sunday, it's the 9th, I believe, right? October 9th, 2022. And uh, we have an anointed speaker here this morning, going to bring us a wonderful message. So let's pray. And Father in heaven, we give you praise, glory, and honor. We thank you that we have freedom in America. We can still come into your house and praise your holy name and worship you and be trained and equipped. And I ask for the anointing to come down upon my brother Danny Miller right now, that he will speak your word and he will break it down so that you can receive it and operate in it and walk in the might and power of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor. All right. I want to thank everyone for being here, whether you're here in person or through the magic of a live stream. Your presence is always welcome, and we thank the church. Thanks you for being a participant this morning. Well, today we're going to talk about promises, as you see. I should have made that bigger. Looks kind of small there. <laughs> It looked bigger on my computer screen. It was, it's that. Um, but before I get into promises, I need to do some credit. Ah, I probably have two slides and one. Or, oh, the magic. Yeah, there she goes. The lady behind the curtain took care of it. <laughs> um, I need to give some credit out to start. Everything that you see today, all the topics, the specific Bible verses, even the headings, all come from the Dakes King James Bible. In fact, this is the third of a series of three where I've just, I've just found a wealth of material in the notes section, and it just made for a great, I thought, uh, Sunday school. So all credit goes to them. All right. Now, actually, I'm going to stay right there. Before we get into uh, the topic, I need we're going to do some background. And I want to do the background because... I think you will help you to see specifically one primary characteristic of promises. It's an important characteristic, and it's something that you need to keep in the back of your mind as we are going through this. In the notes section of the Dakes King James Bible, there's a section called New Testament Promises. In that section, he lists what he says are promises found in the New Testament. There are a total of 250 topics that he lists just under that section. I stopped counting Bible verses at 300. It was hurting my head. You know, it's like, okay, that's, that's a lot of Bible verses. So really, we're not even going to cover, but maybe, I was just checking this morning, maybe 18 to 19 topics out of 250. So there are a lot of promises that are found just in the Old Testament. I was thinking he might have done one for the, or excuse me, New Testament. I was thinking he might do one for the Old Testament, but he doesn't. He, he only did the New Testament in the notes section. So uh, one teaching I might bring is I might go and do it on my own, and let's see what's in the Old Testament. But still, 250 topics, over 300 verses. That's a lot of promises, right? And I, I bring this because the number one goal that kept coming to me as I worked on this, 
I want you to be encouraged. Now, as I go with, went kind of refreshed this morning, there's a little bit of negativity. But overall, I want you to be encouraged by what you hear today. And if you are, then I've accomplished what I feel my purpose today is to give you and hopefully give you encouragement. All right. Now, in order to help you see a very important trait of promises, we're going to look at the definitions. 1A, a declaration that one will do or it can go the other way, refrain from doing something specific. 1B, a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect or claim the performance or forbearance of a specific act. Okay, you starting to see what that characteristic is? The word's actually in, in those definitions. But let us continue. To pledge to do, bring about, or provide. To warrant or assure, to suggest beforehand, or give promise of. So, in all these cases, you guess the word maybe? Act. The word is act. A promise is no good unless there's action. If you go and sit on the couch and say, okay, I made the promise, God, make it happen. They ain't going to happen. You have to take the responsibility to be willing to take the action that you said you were going to take, or else the promise means nothing. There has to be some action to occur in order for a promise to be accomplished. Now, I want to go back. Yeah. I want to go back to 1B. Let me give you an example to help illustrate this. If I go, let's say, uh, most of you know we have a Thanksgiving dinner coming up here shortly. And I go to uh, Leslie and say, Leslie, I promise I will bring some potatoes, mashed potatoes. I'm not going to cook them. That would be a very bad thing. All bad things would happen. I mean, I burnt three TV dinners in a five-minute period. So I don't mess with the kitchen at all, hardly. Um, but... The question is, does Leslie have to do anything? No. I made the promise. Therefore, it's up to me to fulfill and take action to take the steps so that I bring the mashed potatoes on that Sunday. However, in thinking specifically in 1B, what if Leslie says, Danny, if I give you the money to go get mashed potatoes, will you go get them? Yes, I promise I will. Okay, now that's slightly different, isn't it? Because in this case, in order for me to get the mashed potatoes, Leslie has to do something first. You know what another word for 1B is? You can sum it up in one word, conditional. What we're going to see, uh, and I'll be teaching again on this on the 30th because there's no way I'll get everything done today. Many of the promises in the Bible are conditional. There has to be an action that takes place first in order to receive the action that comes after. And we're going to see that time after time after time. All right, so what are some of the uh, topics here? 
Salvation from sin, we have a promise there. Matthew 6, 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people, it should be from, not form, their sins. <laughs> There's a good promise there. Anyone that says, this is a good verse because it helps define the role of Jesus. What did he do here? He fulfilled a promise. And in Matthew 6, 21, this is talking about, uh, I believe this is where the angel comes and is telling Mary and Joseph what's going to happen. Also, if you think of this verse, think of a verse in the Old Testament and the book of Genesis. After the God has seen that they have eaten the apple, what does he say? He tells, tells them that he's going to bring forth a seed that will bruise his head. This verse here is just reaffirming the, the promise made from Genesis in that chapter. And when he says save his people from their sins, it doesn't give us a license to go do what we want. Yes, he has saved us from our sins. He went on the cross so that we don't have to pay the penalty. But it doesn't give us license to go do whatever we want. Yeah, I say he saved us from our sins. But at the same time, you've got a responsibility to try to live a life that's godly and righteous. All right? So another area is spirit baptism. Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. If you, that, that, that I think is very uplifting to think that we have the Holy Ghost. Now that Jesus has ascended into the heavens, he's done his earthly ministry, we still have a mechanism, we still have a conduit, and it's the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, whichever term you want to use. And we need that. That's how we're going to live day to day. We're going to go in prayer. We're going to allow the Holy Ghost to lead and God and direct us. And we have the Holy Ghost to go to in prayer. I mean, we go to God and the Father, but that, that mechanism, the Holy Ghost, we have that available to us. I think that's very encouraging, very encouraging. Another reference, this is in Mark, in spirit baptize, uh, baptism. I indeed have baptized you with water. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. I've, I, when I was younger, uh, I used to think I didn't have it. Even though I've, I've been a Christian, I just didn't think I had it. You do have it. Now, I don't know where it is. <laughs> you may have to do a little searching. You may have to do a little digging. You may have to do a little Bible study and prayer to get it uncovered. But it's there. 
That's, that's the point I, I want you to see. It's there, ready for you to take advantage of and use. But it's up to you. Remember I was talking about action? It's up to you to take the steps necessary to access the Holy Ghost and allow it to flow and work within you. Another uh, deal about spirit baptism. And being assembled together with them, commanding them they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise. There's the word right there, promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. But you shall, verse 8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. We've got the Holy Ghost. Acts 1-4 alone tells us that. Sure. Yeah. Um, she was, she was saying that when we get, when we receive Jesus, we get that Holy Spirit, okay? But we have to, to access that through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that's a very good point. Forgiveness of sins. That's another topic that we have promises of. I think when we talk about forgiveness, and I think this has, for me, been one of the hardest things, is forgiving yourself. And to be quite honest, I have a real hard time. I, I've, some of the people who have been here a long time will attest to that. I don't, I don't forgive myself very easily. Um, whom God has stepped forth to be appropriation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed to the forbearance of God. Any, anyone that says Jesus didn't die for his sins are either ignorant or they don't read the Bible or they just willfully are going over this verse. To me, this is the verse. If anyone tells you what did Jesus do, take them to this verse. Because in a nutshell, that's what Jesus did. That's why he came. It is so he could pay the price, so he could go right here on this cross. So that we have for the remission of sins and gain eternal life. Anyone that tells you different, just remember this verse, throw it in their face and say, how do you explain this verse? Okay? I mean, to me, this, this is one of my verses I have on my index cards that I try to read every day to memorize because it's such a key thing, such a key thing. Another verse, forgiveness of sins. Now, this is very hard, and everyone has done this. Everyone in this room has had to deal with this battle. Everyone that's watching via live stream, don't shake your head because, yeah, you've had to deal with this too. Forgiveness of sins, but this time it's not so much from the Father to us, it's us to each other. 
And when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Man, that's heavy. That is really heavy. I've, I'm, I have some friends, and, you know, they got done, I think, badly. And they say, I never forgive them. And if they're Christian, I said, you can't do that. If they're not, I said, I don't think that's a good idea. If you've got something against someone, and, and, oh, yeah, I was meant to say this earlier. A while back, I did, I called, I did a speech called the If-Then Principle. And you're going to see this, and this actually is one of them. The idea is that you have, like, two arguments. Well, in order for the second argument to occur, the first had to occur. If you do this, then something else will occur. This verse right here is an example of what I call the if-then principle. It says forgive, doesn't it? If you forgive, then, then, Father's going to forgive, the sin, forgive you for your trespasses in heaven. You can't have unforgiveness, Period. Yeah, and this is another verse I've got on my note cards. I got a lot of these verses on my note cards, but I have found they are, they're helpful because it helps me to remember the principles of my Christian faith. And this is a big one. I've, I, I read, or I, uh, I was on YouTube, and I thought this was one of the most poignant things I've ever heard, seen on YouTube. Now, I don't know if this really happened to the gal, but I'll just tell you what it said. Basically, she was involved like in a car accident or something, uh, and she was clinically dead. Well, she went down, left her body, went down, she said, to a very dark place. At first, she couldn't see. But then slowly, the darkness started to light up a little bit, and she heard something coming toward her. And as they got toward her, she started seeing what they were. She could hear them better. And they were demons. And at first, she didn't understand. But as they got closer, she started to realize what had happened to her. And they started tormenting her and starting to physically abuse her and saying, your God's not going to come, you're, you're toast, you're here with us, you're going to stay here the rest of your life, and so on and so forth. And she cried out, you know, Jesus, help me. And then slowly, after a minute or two, there was a small light. And it got brighter and brighter and closer and closer to the point where the demons fled. And then after it got even closer and brighter, she saw who it was, and it was Jesus. And she said, Jesus, th you know, thank you for coming. And he goes, do you know why you're here? And she said, no, I don't know why. I, I've gone to church all my life. I've, I've said my prayers every day, and, and I've tried to be a good person and help people in need. I, I don't understand. He, and he goes, kind of stern look, he goes, think again. What about your past? And at first she didn't catch on, but then the light bulb came on. She had a relative 
that she had not forgiven after 30 years. And she, I think it was an aunt, but it was a relative. I remember that much. And he said, that's why you're here. Unforgiveness has serious consequences. Unforgiveness can cause the victory of the cross to be brought down into nothing. Okay? And it's hard. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It, it, it isn't. Uh, but you don't have the choice. See, that's the thing. And this, these two verses really point that out. If you do not forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. If you do, then the Father in heaven may forgive your trespasses. So we have that promise. We do have the for, uh, forgiveness available to us. Another verse about forgiveness of sins. And his Lord, Matthew eight thirty four, and his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. This is serious business about unforgiveness. And this is just another verse. Again, where's the, and I may be sounding negative, but the glory is it's there for us to do. The promise of forgiveness for us is there but we have to make sure we are clean ourselves for that forgiveness to happen another example of this then now some of you may wonder <clears throat> is it worth it living on this earth sometimes it, it seems like why am i bothering every time i step forward i'm getting hit two steps back uh, about uh, earlier this week, I went in to have my old change. Um, and they say, you got a problem. And it's like, oh, great. That's what I need to hear. There was no oil in the car. I had, uh, I had an oil leak. I'm lucky I didn't burn the whole car up because of lack of oil. But, and at first I was like, why is this happening again? But see, we have to remember we're pilgrims and strangers on this earth. And when we talk about great rewards, yes, there may be some on our life on this earth. But we also have great rewards in heaven awaiting us. Now, it doesn't really matter uh, how to shut up with this. The rewards is a byproduct byproduct of Christian faith it's not the aim of the Christian faith okay we don't do this because we got oh good I got these rewards waiting you know I, I can't wait for that mansion hopefully it's you know ranch style you know but we don't do it for that but notice this also it says blessed are ye when men shall reveal you and persecute you say all manner of evil against you for my sake and rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So they persecuted they, the prophets which were before you. Now, the reward here is in specifically in reference to persecution. And I think that's real comforting because the fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, we've been very fortunate in this country. We have not suffered Christian religious persecution like they do in Arabic countries or communist countries 
are countries where Eastern religions are predominant. We've never experienced that here. The day is coming where we will. And so when that happens, I want you to remember this verse. Because here it's saying the reward is in heaven. If you again, if if you're doing the Christian faith so that you can accumulate rewards in, on the earth, you're you're going down the wrong path. That's not why we are Christians. It's not to receive the rewards. It's great. It's wonderful. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. But nevertheless, that's not the reason for the Christian faith. I also want to bring up, uh, especially in where's where in verse twelve where it says persecuted. It's not in the in the PowerPoint, but I I thought of this when I was going over the uh, slides this morning. I believe it's First Corinthians ten four. It says, "There hath no temptation taking overtaking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation provide a way of escape, so you may be able to bear it." Now, granted, in that particular verse, the word is temptation, not persecution like in verse 12. But I submit to you for your consideration that the idea is there still. Just instead of perse- uh, temptation, put persecution in there. Whatever persecution, you're going to be given the strength to handle it. Because 1 Corinthians 10.4, even though it says the word temptation, I maintain that that can be used for persecution or any other situation you're in. We have, we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit earlier, didn't we? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to endure whatever's coming through. Now, it's no fun and no one likes it. I don't. And most people I know don't. But the fact of the matter is, this verse says we got a reward, therefore faithful we'll have a reward. And First Corinthians ten four says whatever it is that we're going through, we have the power to be able to bear it. God knows what your strengths and limitations are. You know, a Stan related story about. Uh, hopefully, I'm doing this, saying this right. About he was in prayer about Dimitri. And. He made a, made a reference about how he would, basically, he would want to go down that road. And God told him, no, you don't want to, I'm not going to allow you to do that. And when he asked why, because you couldn't handle it like Dimitri could. See, whatever we road we go down, there is a reward somewhere down the line. But here, again, is persecution. Remember this verse when it happens. You've got a reward coming to you. And again, it, does, it says in heaven. And the other thing about rewards, there's no promise. There's no time stamp, is there? There's not, in, you know, in one day, you're going to get to reward, or one week, you're going to get to reward. And it may be whatever you're going through or whatever reward you're going to get, you may not even get a reward here on this earth. It doesn't matter. Are you going to be obedient? Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to hold true to your Christian faith? Another verse is about rewards. And this, uh, I think, is really interesting because it's 1 Corinthians 3, 7. Note that he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward 
Oh, look at this next word, according to his own labor. If you do a little, you guess what? Your little, your reward's going to be small. If you do a lot, uh, then you're going to have a great reward. Again, it doesn't say when. I get so tired of, I just want to punch people in the face sometimes because they want it right now. No, it don't work that way, and you better quit thinking that. It's just one of the most stupid things you could do because all you're doing is setting up frustration on your part. Another verse about reward. Uh, this is in the notes section. All will be rewarded according to the works, verses 8 through 15. Also reference Matthew 16, 27, Romans 14, 10, and 11, 2 Corinthians 5, 12. Rewards are not given according to success of labor, but according to motive and faithfulness and service. That's what God's looking at. He's looking at your motive. He's looking at your heart. He's looking to see, are you being faithful? And whatever degree of that success is, that's great. But God's not necessarily looking at success. He's looking at the intentions of the heart. And one more, I think there, now there's a couple more. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall we receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Y'all know this verse. What goes around comes around. There's, there's your modern-day translation. What goes around comes around. Again, it doesn't say when. I know I'm harping on that. I get so sick of, sick of hearing that. It, it's going to happen at some point in time, whether on this earth or in heaven, it's going to happen. All right, also Hebrews 10, 35, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which have great recompense of reward. Verse 36, for you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Here's another if then. After you have done the will, if you've done the will of God, then what happens? Then you might receive the promise. I think it's interesting it says might. You may not even get it. What's your intention? What is uh, what is the, the key motive and faithfulness that we saw in this verse? That's what's going to determine if you might get it. Uh, okay. Well, one more. For the Lord, God is the sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Do you want to receive reward? Well, there's a verse right there. You've got to walk, walk uprightly. You're not going to get a reward if you can disobeying God. In the, in the verse, uh, uh, book of Jeremiah, which is one of my favorite books next to Psalm in the Old Testament, there are times where God flat out tells Jeremiah, don't pray for these people. Don't even think of it because they continue to disobey me. They continue to not follow my statutes, laws, and commandments. So, and I've had enough. They're going to get punished. Don't even pray for them. That's what happens if you don't walk uprightly and you do it on a continuous basis. But if you're walking uprightly, he's not going to withhold stuff. Again, I don't know when it's going to happen. But... It's going to happen at some point in time. Whether it's on this earth or up in heaven, it doesn't matter. 
the reward's going to come. This is a promise that it is. Necessities of life. Who runs out of money before the end of the month? I do from time to time. There's an old country song that says, too much month at the end of the money, which I've always liked. Luke 11, 11, if a son shall ask a bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give a fish for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask them? See, he's trying to point out, you know, God's going to, he knows what you need. You don't have, I mean, we go to prayer and ask, and that's a good thing to do. But understand that he knows everything you need at that point in time in your life. Whether you get it or not, that's an issue I'm not really addressing. The point is he knows. And he wants to be good to you. He wants to give you things. He wants to give you things. But what do you have to do? You have to walk uprightly. All right? You got to walk uprightly. These next few verses, yep, they're on my card list too. But I think uh, these are two of the most beautiful verses. Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What is these things? He doesn't say in that verse, does he? He just says these things. So what are those things? The previous two verses tell us. Oh, wrong way. Matthew 6, 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Isn't that the basics of life on verse 31? What we're going to eat, or what drink, or how we're going to be clothed? You can't get much simpler than that. And God knows you have needed these things. And, he, and we saw in the previous verses, he wants to give you those things. He's not going to give you a scorpion like it mentioned in the other verses. He doesn't want to. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you good things. Uh, Lou, could you look on the projector and see what slide I'm on? Okay. Now, okay, thank you. Bodily healing. We have power to heal. It's there. And when he was coming to the house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus saith unto him, Believe you, I am able to do this. They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then he touched her eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. That's a real key point. According to your faith, the degree of faith you have is going to tell you how successful you're going to be. All right? The degree of faith you have will help determine how successful you're going to be. And we're going to see, and there's about six slides on this, but, and I think what we have to understand, if we pray for a healing, 
giving you another example. I'm nearsighted. Okay, I've worn glasses all my life. This eye, uh, what's the medical? It's, I forgot. It's where the you can't see in the center. There's a term I can't remember what it is. No, nah, not stigmatism. I think you know. I'll think of it after I get off stage. Watch. And I've prayed for God would heal that. In this right eye, I've had spots. Uh, exam can't. They the doc said they were stingers. And I have this fear that that basically I've got one good eye. And so I've been praying, you know, heal the this. That's going to bug me until I figure out what that word is. And you know what? It hasn't happened. Not, not cataract. Um, it's med, med, M-A-T something. Um, but the, my point is this. I've prayed for years for this. Hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. And that's my point, Lou. You just made it for me. Yet. Does it mean because after all years I still haven't had it happen, I give up? No. Because we've been given the promise. Come on. All right. All right. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. We have the same spirit of him who raised the dead. And we saw in other verses prior to this, the spirit dwells in us, doesn't it? It dwells in us. Now, the word quicken, make alive, used in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Give life, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, in Galatians 3, 21. And quicken with a number of verses. Make alive, give life. That's what it means. That's the de- one of the definitions of quicken. So we've been given the power. It's there. Why it doesn't happen is another whole question. But I want to home in on the point that you've got it. It's there. It's in you. Now, we've got to spend time to cultivate it. It doesn't mean that, you know, we become a Christian. Next day, I'm raising people from the graves. All right? It's not what I'm saying. But that potential, that power is there in you. But it's up to you. Remember what I said about promises? They're actions. It, you have to have an act in order for a promise to be occurred. We've got to take the act, cultivate that spirit, to grow that spirit. So the time will come where we have the power and the ability to even raise the dead. And when he was come in the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto him, Ye that I am able to do this, they said, Yea, Lord, touch your eyes, saying, Here that phrase is again, according to your faith, be it unto you. Faith is very powerful. All right. I'm starting to run out of time, so I want to see. Yeah. I think there's two more. Is there any sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him off in the name of the Lord. That phrase, 
name of the Lord. Name also you could put name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is very powerful. And notice that it says anoint him with oil, but it's done in the name of the Lord. We have as a body the ability to heal. That's one reason why I'm glad that one of our church members has a prayer uh, session once a month where we can pray for each other. That's why this church has a list that one of the members runs where we can send prayers in. She sends that out so that everyone knows about it and can pray on their own. We both as a people or as an individual and as a corporate body have the ability to heal. And I don't care if it doesn't happen right off the bat. We have that ability. And I'm not going to question. And yes, I'm going to pray every day about my eyes until either I'm dead or it happens. One of the two is going to happen. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth months. Isn't it interesting that before the sentence, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, it says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one to another. There's some things we got to do to prepare so that that second uh, sentence in that verse occurs. Confessing our faults. What did we talk about earlier about forgiveness to to forgive and also confess? Here it comes up again. Okay. Well, this is a good stopping point. This is kind of where I was thinking I would. Uh, I hope this has been, and I'm going to go, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to ask you a quick question. Did you find this encouraging? Okay, good. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> you lead me in so well, Lou, Pastor Lou. On the 30th, I'll come back and I'll conclude this teaching. So come back. Well, I mean, come every Sunday. Yes, please come every Sunday. But <laughs> but if you want to see the conclusion of this, either come the 30th or uh, again, go to the Dakes Bible. We're just barely scratching. This is 17 out of 260 topics. Go to the Dakes Bible to the notes section where it says New Testament and look on your own, too, so you can see what else. We're being promised. With that, uh, we th- we thank you for being here personally or via live stream. Uh, we will be back in about 10 minutes or so and start up the remainder of the service. Good day. All right, let's stand up and put our hands together. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Yes, we do. Oh, Lord, my God, in you I put my hope. Oh, Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Yes, we do. Oh, Lord, my God. In you I put my hope. Singing in you. In you, in you I find my peace. 
in you, in you I find my strength. Yes, we do. In you, I live and move and breathe. Let everything I say and do, come on. Let everything I say and do be founded by my faith in you. I lift up holy hands and sing. Let the praises ring. Come on, let me see your hands. Oh, Lord, my God, to you I give my hands. Yes, we do, Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, to you I give my peace. And oh, Lord, my God, to you I give my everything. Oh, Lord, my God, to you I give my life. In you, in you I find my peace. In you, in you I find my strength. Yes, we do, Lord. In you, I live and move and breathe. Let everything I say and do. Let everything I say and do be founded by my faith in you. Lift up holy hands and sing. Let the praises ring. Hallelujah. Let the praises ring. All right, come on. Let me see your hands up nice and high. Come on. Are you free?
of our praise. Let there be no higher name. Jesus, Son of God, you lay down your perfect life. You are the sacrifice. Jesus, Son of God, you are Jesus, Son of God. You took our sins away come on this is a time where you can come and truly worship him there's no one coming in our doors and telling us we can't scream the name of Jesus we can shout it from the rooftops with freedom hallelujah Jesus you are Jesus son of Forever. 
the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you Lord it's your breath in our lungs so we pour
this time and can come and worship your name. You are worthy of our praise and worthy, worthy, Father God. We sing these songs and we sing these praises into your great and mighty name because we know that we would not be who we are if it wasn't for you, Father God. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Test, test. Yeah, we're set. Well, Lou prayed for me at the start, so I asked if I could return to favor. If you bow your heads in prayer for a moment, please. Heavenly Father, stands before you a great man of God. I pray you would give him words, that I pray you would give him ideas, and that every word that proceeds from his mouth is from you. That as he sits or stands on this stage, second by second, you will lead and guide him as to the topics to choose, the topics to talk about, and give him words that will help explain and teach us what Lou has brought before us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Danny. Wow, what an honor to be in the house of the Lord today. It's a privilege to serve the King in whatever capacity we have. Amen? Amen. I want to welcome Justin, my friend. Uh, recently came from the Fort Worth area and um, is, uh, lives in McKinney now. I think his wife is at home uh, putting away boxes. So uh, make sure you say hi to him and welcome him. And I don't know your name. Kedrick. Okay, welcome. Make sure that uh, you welcome him, and we hope that you come back. And I should know your name, but uh, I know I have it written down in my Bible, but I cannot remember. Julia, so I know you've come many times before, but see, even Pastor Lou needs to meet people and say, Hi, Julia, welcome, glad you're here. And so welcome these uh, people. Um, We do have a lot of people missing today. Lots of stuff happening. They're traveling and moving and uh, car problems and whatnot. So that's called life. But I'm glad you're here and um, I love you guys. And so today, um, I want to talk to you about some things in the scriptures that some of you may know about. And um, I will say some people teach and put a lot of unscriptural, unbiblical things on this topic. But uh, just looking at the pictures, is there anybody in here that thinks they know what the message is going to be on today? Scapegoat. Scapegoat. Michael, ding, ding, ding. Michael gets it right. The scapegoat. Or some people would say the escaped goat move this down so it doesn't pop so much. Yeah, this little critter here, the goat, is the scapegoat, and this is the high priest. And we went over we went over this last week. Turn me down just a wee bit, please. You know, our God is merciful, 
And um, you could have asked me, I would have told you Jesus was not going to return last week on uh, Feast of Trumpets or 10 days before two weeks ago. But it's a picture, the seven feasts of the Lord. And the scapegoat is tied in with atonement, Day of Atonement. So I talked to you a little bit about Day of Atonement and the ten days of awe, which is not in your scriptures, but there are ten days between Rice Hosanna, which we call Feast of Trumpets, up to um, Yom Kippur, which is the Hebrew word, Day of Atonement. Ten days. What do I say we should do for those ten days? Repent, because the windows of heaven are open. So that was the message last week. But what do the priests do, and how does a scapegoat tie in with all of this stuff? I'm glad you ask. Okay, we have a name for the goat. We'll call him Sinbad. We like goats. We have a few at our house. Sinbad, the scapegoat. Okay, so last week was Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Uh, In Isaiah 43, it says, I am he, this is God, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So Danny gave a wonderful teaching this morning about the promises of of God, and he was saying we should forgive ourselves. For some people, it's really hard to forgive themselves, but... You know, if you can't forgive yourself, it's like slapping Jesus in the face and saying your blood's not good enough to wash me clean. So, yes, we can forgive others. We also must forgive ourselves because the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. So many people do love their neighbors, but they don't, you know, don't step into the dark kingdom and help Satan beat yourself up. You know, agree with the Lord that you are holy and righteous. Do we all sin? Sure we do. That's why we need a Savior. But we're not dirty, rotten sinners. We're washed in the blood and we're clean. That's why we can go boldly into the throne room of God and get our prayers answered. Amen? Amen. Next slide. Next slide. Stay tuned for station identification. Is this thing even... We got power. I'm stuck. Yes, behind the scenes, as Danny Miller was talking about. Here's a picture that I really like of the scapegoat. And sometimes, I'm going to get into the meaning of the scapegoat, but sometimes this is what we look like. You know, uh, Prophet Leslie talks about putting on the full armor of God every day, and one of those armors is the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy because he's always shooting at us. Amen? Now, just because he's shooting at us doesn't mean that they're going to stick, you know. Um, The way I see it, if we've repented of everything and we're walking holy before the Lord and here comes a dart, bing, it just bounces right off. But if we got a door open, you know, we get shot and it sticks. And so many of Christians are looking like this. They're beat up, wounded, broke, busted, and disgusted, as they say. And so... um, I'm not saying you're all goats. I'm just saying that's what we look like. But this is the scapegoat. He takes the blame. And uh, the curse is really what we're talking about. The curse is broken. Day of Atonement, the curse is broken, and it's done through the goats. And so we'll continue. The Day of Atonement, which was last week on October 4th, 
And to my knowledge, I do not know of any major judgment that happened around the world. Now, I'm sure that, um, you know, there's some things that happened, but um, as far as, you know, this is a, be for Pastor Stan to answer the any big change in prophecy news. So next week, y'all can ask him. But I, I didn't see anything that looked like there was judgment brought down. Uh, and just because I didn't see it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But here's what the priest will do on this Day of Atonement. They do four sacrifices, a bull, a ram, and two goats. Number one here, it says, Sacrifice these two animals to atone for the sins of the high priest and his family. This is not for the Israelites. This is for the priest in the office of high priest that year. And they switch yearly. Then they have two goats. One becomes a scapegoat to bear the sins of the Israelites. And the other goat is sacrificed. So three of these animals die. They're all supposed to die, actually. Well, I'll teach you. But they immediately kill three. See, blood is required. This is why the blood of Jesus is so powerful. It washes our sins away. It says when we're washed in the blood, our sins are put as far as the east is from the west. And if you can't get it that way, it means the Lord doesn't even remember them. It's like they were non-existent when you get washed in the blood. So if you're a Christian and you are covered in the blood, know who you are in Christ and know that your sins are forgiven. The Lord is not up there with a big hammer ready to like kabonk and judge you and punish you because he sees you through the blood of Jesus, which makes you righteous. Amen. But blood, there has to be, we're going to, uh, oh, here. <laughs> Family reunion, right? That's that's Pastor Lou. <laughs> that used to be Pastor Lou. Does anybody feel like that? You're the black sheep in the family? Okay. Once you've been washed in the blood, though, you're not the black sheep. You're in the fellowship of the congregation. You're white as snow. Amen? Amen. And here's the scripture for that. Isaiah 1, 18. Come now which is what we're doing. Come to the house of the Lord. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That's pretty clean, white. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And, you know, if you're a black sheep, you got black wool. But if you're a white sheep, what it's saying is you're washed, you're white, you're clean the righteousness of the saints. So the blood of Jesus cleanses us. It covers our sins with the blood of an innocent sacrifice. Now here's a picture. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was sacrificed, and he bled more than just on the cross. He bled seven places. I can teach on that another day. Not today. But he was an innocent, sinless. He was the bread of life, the unleavened bread, which means in him was no sin. You know, for me as a man, it's hard to grasp the concept that someone could have been born as a human being and lived 33 years and never ever even one time sinned. 
because I can't do that. <laughs> That's why I need a Savior. But Jesus did it. He was a perfect sacrifice. Amen. And because of that, you know, we can get her name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and much, much more. So it required an innocent sacrifice and it required blood. And here's the scripture that says in Hebrews, in almost, no, it doesn't say all, but it says almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. And we would say no remission of sins. And I like John 20, 23. A lot of people don't believe we have the power to forgive sins. But if you believe you have that power, you have that power. If you don't believe you have that power, then you do not have that power. And I'll just tell you this, that the spirits that you're battling, they know whether you believe or not. They know. They're invisible. You can't see them. You can't see your inner man, your spirit man. But in the spirit realm, those spirits, they see. And they can tell if you have faith or no faith. They can tell if you've got a pocket knife or a sword or you got a, you know, a three-foot sword with armor. And they can see. They can tell. John 20, 23 says, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. I'll give you a great example. Now, if someone that you're praying for is, you know, able to um, talk, they can remit their own sins. They can ask for forgiveness. They can repent. But if you're, somebody is in a hospital bed in a coma, I mean, the lights are out, you know, they're not there. You're praying. You can walk into that room, put your hand on them and go, in Jesus' name, and remit their sins and break those things. You can remit their sins for them and pray for them to be healed and get the spirits off of them and get them healed. And then after they become awake, you can tell them what happened and say, no, you know, like Jesus said, go and sin no more. Or here's what happened. You need to repent for yourself and go and sin no more. So we do have the power to forgive sin. But the point I'm making is blood is required. And that's why the Father sent Jesus to bleed. And he bled many places for many reasons. Matthew 26, for this is my blood. This is in red in your King James Bible, Jesus speaking. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. See, in uh, John 3.16, 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believeth on him shall be saved. So he died for everybody. They may not accept him, but that is irregardless. He still died for all those who accept him and for those who did not accept him. He died for the whole world. So it's his blood that washes away our sins. It's the remission that cleanses us. Amen? So, talking about blood. Now, let's uh, dispel some myths here. So, the high priest on Day of Atonement, you know, they have to wear the little tassel bells on their skirt, you know. Uh, Actually, they take those off when they go into the 
on Day of Atonement, they take off their priestly clothes and put on white linen garments. I call it slave clothes because that is a picture of the slavery they had when they were in Egypt. But they put on white linen garments, and then they go in with the blood to the Holy of Holies and, and sprinkle the blood. And so I've heard this told many times that they would tie a rope around the priest's ankle, and if they heard the bells not tinkling, that means he died in the Holy of Holies, and they would pull him out. That is not scriptural. Number one, he doesn't have on the holy priest garments with the bells. He's wearing white linen garments, which are slave clothes. That's my interpretation of you can't see that in the Bible, slave clothes, but it says they take off their holy attire and put on white linen garments, and he goes in. There's never a rope around the priest. And so did the priest ever fall dead in the Holy of Holies? Does anyone know the answer to that? You can't find this in the Bible, but I'm going to say he never ever, not one time, ever fell dead inside the Holy of Holies, atoning for the sins of Israel, because on that day, that day, the Lord was sitting on the mercy seat, full of loving kindness, and giving out mercy. So the rope, you cannot find that anywhere in the scriptures, and it may be in some of the mystical books like the Zohar, the Talmud, but I don't read those things. You know, I'm bringing you King James biblical knowledge. So if you've ever heard that story, that is not a fact. That is fiction. Amen? What, uh, okay, there, there the first thing he did was offer incense as a sweet-smelling fragrance of God. So the, the incense is a symbol of our prayers going up before the throne. And here we have in Leviticus, uh, and he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord in his hands full of sweet incense. So he's got fire in one hand, incense in the other, beaten small and bring it within the veil. When it says within the veil, that means he goes into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Testimony is, the Ark of the Covenant. Probably not a real biblical picture, but you get the idea. So he's got, you know, the incense would have been in here. There's your coals of fire. He puts that on, and now the prayers is a symbol of the prayers going up before the Father. He's burning incense before the throne. And I looked in the... Um, Strong's Concordance, uh, where it said a cloud. So this smoke would come off the incense, and it would make a cloud, and it would cover the Ark of the Covenant. And then the Lord would, would come in the cloud. And I looked in the word cloud for Shekinah. And guess what I found? I didn't find Shekinah. I found cloud. <laughs> cloud. So uh, all that stuff that Prophet Leslie is talking about is true. It's a cloud covering over the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. 
This is a picture of the tabernacle. This is the Old Testament tabernacle, but the uh, Solomon's tabernacle was the you know the same. You got the uh, outer wall, the door to come in. There's your holy brazen altar where they would barbecue. They call it barbecue. They would cook the animals. This is a brass labor to wash. This is the inner court. In here you have the table of showbread. They call it table of presents. You got the table of showbread. And the candelabra, which is filled with oil, burning before the Lord forever. And this is your um, altar of incense. And I did check this out because I thought, why would they take incense into the Holy of Holies when they have it out here? But you got three pieces of furniture in the Holy Place and then the Holy of Holies. On this day in the scriptures it says he took the fire and the uh, pan and the censer, uh, or the uh, the incense and the fire, and presented it before the Lord to cover the ark with the smoke. So he did take that inside. But this is your veil, which he would go in and present the incense. Smoke would come up, and then he would sprinkle the blood. So I just wanted you to get the idea of this is your tabernacle. Seven times, as Pastor Stan has said, he sprinkles seven times eastward. You know that, go back one here. This is east. So in other words, the tabernacle faced this way and the Holy of Holies was on the west end. Another teaching for another day. He sprinkled blood seven times on the mercy seat. And there you have it. Don't know if that's a biblical picture with the light there shining, but nonetheless, he's got the incense going up, putting a cloud over the mercy seat and sprinkling the blood. This is very interesting. You know, Jesus is our high priest, right? This is just a picture of the natural on the earth of our king. And then when he came out of the holy place, he would announce to those who were waiting outside because what was happening while he was inside, everybody stopped working and they waited. And he would sprinkle the blood and ask the Lord to accept it and forgive the sins of Israel. And however long that took, they're just waiting. But when he comes out, he would say, it is done. Okay, and we have an example of that in the New Testament, right, where it is similar, only he says, it is finished. Interesting. Got to be a coincidence, right? And here it is, John 19, 30. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It's another picture, right? What's finished? Our sins have been forgiven. Praise God. Praise God. That way we can say, because of the blood of Jesus, Satan has no more place in me, no more power over me because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? He doesn't. But you, by faith, you have to receive that by faith. And if you don't receive it by faith, so many stories I could tell you. you Got to have faith. Amen? And faith is like a muscle. You've got to exercise it, and it will get stronger. So I don't care where you're at right now. If you just got, as, as they say in the scriptures, even mustard seed faith, you can speak to the mountain, it will move. Amen. Okay? 
So it doesn't take a lot, but you have to have some. And, and it also says every person's been given a measure of faith. So I don't care where your faith's at today. Once you start exercising it, and it will get stronger. You get in the spirit rough and tough and hard to bluff. Amen? Amen. You be. <laughs> okay. So that wasn't the end of the high priest's work that day. This is also the same day on Day of Atonement. And by the way, on uh, if, if you're Jewish, the holiest day of the year is this day, Day of Atonement. The high priest takes of the congregation two goats. He presents them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle. One is a Lord's goat, one is a scapegoat. Guess how they figure out which one is which? They cast lots. Here it is, Leviticus 16:7, And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And here we have a picture And I just want to make this point. You know, in Christianity today, we have a lot of mysticism, a lot of unbiblical teaching. And I just want you to know this picture is unbiblical. Can anybody tell me why this picture is unbiblical? What's that, Eni? This is a scarlet ribbon, which we're not going to go into this a long ways today, but uh, from the Talmud, they used to say they put that around one of the goat's horns, and this is all about breaking curses. The goat, you send him out in the wilderness, he dies. They would clip a piece of ribbon off, nail it onto the tabernacle. If the goat died, the ribbon turned white, which means the Lord accepted the sacrifice and your curses are broken. That is not biblical. You cannot find that in the Bible at all. So I just want you to know. But the point is, they're presenting the two goats before the Lord, casting lots. You know, one lives, one is a scapegoat. Amen? That part's biblical. Okay? Well, technically, they're both supposed to die. Verse 9, And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord Lot fell, this is the Lord's goat, and offer him for a sin offering. Take the blood seven times on the mercy seat. This is a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Okay, so the live goat, they're still making an atonement with a live goat, right? How is that possible? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, right? It's kind of weird. Is it, you know, how is this possible? They're going to let this goat go. 
but they make an atonement with a live goat also. The dead goat making atonement with blood, this goat gets atonement. And send him into the wilderness. We'll call him Scapy because he is the escaped goat. Amen? They set him free in the wilderness. What is really happening here? Has anybody heard the scapegoat teaching? I know you have, Sunni. Yeah, you have. I see a lot of no. They haven't heard this. This is in Leviticus. What it is talking about is it's breaking the curse. Now, as a deliverance minister, I know most people go like, you know, first of all, (laughs) in America, most people don't believe a Christian can have a demon, and they don't think that you can have a curse. And so Jesus hung on the tree. He broke the curse. Amen. He did break the curse. He also, before he died, he said, it is finished. Well, if everything's all finished and we're in the promised land and everything's so fine and dandy, how come Christians are sick, broke, can't find a job, have bad marriage problems, all this stuff that we have so that the people outside the church go, I don't want to be like you guys because look how messed up you are. Amen? We should be the happiest, most blessed, best, you know, of everything. We should be the head, not the tail. The curse is still operating today. So, as an example, Mrs. Young told me this morning, you could break the curse. So we're out feeding and watering all the animals, and we move some new quail. They're eight weeks old. They're full grown. They just turned adults in eight weeks. We took them and put them in the new quail cages yesterday. Had quail for supper, too. Man, it was awesome. Marinated quail on the barbecue. You should try it. You'll like it. It was great. So we go out to water the animals today. I got 14 cages, 15 cages of quail. In cage number two, there was a dead quail. And Suni goes, what happened? It's a new quail. I go, it's the curse. She goes, you can break it. Break the curse, Lou. (laughs) So we have to appropriate God's word, you know, to make these things operate. You know, we can't just say, well, Jesus finished it on the cross, tra-la-la-la-la, I'm having a good day, you know, that's not on me, but, you know, it is on us, right? The curse is active, and so is sin and sickness. But this is what the scapegoat is. It's breaking, it's another picture of the breaking of the curse. So this slide says, you are free to choose. Do you know God gave you free will? But you are not free from the consequence of your choice. See, this teaching today is about consequences. So when the children of Israel, Aaron says, cross the river Jordan and go into the promised land, the Lord said, set up two monuments and go up on Mount Ebal and Mount Grissom. Six tribes here, six tribes here. You guys pronounce the blessings of the Lord. You guys pronounce the curses. And God said, I set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life, because he knew we'd make the wrong choice sometimes. And when we make the wrong choice, there's consequences. And the good side of that coin is when we make the right choice, there's consequences. They're good ones. Bad choices result in bad consequences. That's what this whole story is about the scapegoat is breaking curses and making right decisions. 
If I deal with a lot of deliverance over the phone. I get people to call me up and they go like, I think I talked to you last week about this. I committed the unpardonable sin of death. And I go, no, you're still alive. You didn't commit that. Or they go, I'm just like Job. I'm so downcast. I go, you know, if it's a man, shut up. You know, I don't treat them like the girls. I'm more softer. But a man calls me up and goes, I'm just like Job. Shut up. You know, stop that. You're not like Job. You know, you live in America. You're blessed. You know, you're not like Job. But they call me up and tell me that. Or they call me up like, somebody's burning sage next door and a demon jumped on me. I'm like, come on, you know, that, that's impossible. It's not impossible, but you give Satan way too much credit. So here's how this stuff works. Proverbs 26.2 says, As the bird by wandering, as a swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. If you got a dope and door, you got your foot in sin, you know, a demon can jump on you, or you can get a curse. And honestly, you don't even have to be in sin because of uh, Leviticus 26, the sins of the forefathers, I will visit the iniquities of the children to the third and fourth generation. You can be totally innocent and still have a curse attached to you because of your ancestors, because of what they did against God's word and God's will. But we have the power to break them. But I just want you to know, a demon and a curse can't just come on you for no reason at all. There's a, if, if you have something attached to you, there is a reason, and we could call it a legal right. They have permission to get you. The scapegoat is the way that it gets broken. It's a picture. Oh, I like this picture. Here's... I'm not saying this is public policy. I just like the, uh, you know, I like the picture. Here's a guy going, I need a rock this size. And, and this guy's going, oh, here we go. Unintended consequences. See, when we sin, there's consequences, unintended consequences. So when we open the door, we don't really know what's going to come through the door. In the spirit realm, you know, it could be death, could be murder, could be suicide, could be alcoholism, could be schizophrenia, could be high blood pressure, could be, I mean, you don't know where I'm going. You don't know what's going to attach to you. And then you're going to have to repent and cast that thing out and break the curse. And sometimes that's real easy to do. And sometimes it's pretty difficult. Right, Suni? She's, I mean, we're like you guys. We have our issues with, you know, light and darkness, um, blessing and cursing. We have to fight too. You know, it comes to our house, doesn't it? In more ways than one. Just like it happens with you guys. So we're not exempt because I'm a pastor. Not exempt. <sighs> Leviticus 16:21. Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities. And here is the ugly, the bad, the hairy truth. All the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. Three things that you find in the Old Testament. Sins, transgressions, iniquities. They're all different. And they have, you're, you're reading this Levitical thing and, and, and about the sin offering, the peace offering, the drink offering. You're going like, what does all this mean? I don't get it. I don't understand. Yeah, we do not understand. 
there's different levels and different things and different atonements for breaking curses and breaking sins. It's pretty complicated. And you can find that out in Deuteronomy 28 about the blessings and curses. And um, Leviticus is probably one of the most boring, difficult books in the Bible to understand. But this is God's law for the priests. Leviticus is how or the priest's going to operate. And there's, you know, you got leprosy. There's things to do for that. And so it's, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. But this here, I really like this because this takes care of all three of these plus the curse. If you can acclimate it into your life. You know, just because it is written doesn't mean it's just going to float down on your head like the Holy Ghost floated down on Jesus. Sometimes we have to reach our hand up into the throne of God and pull our blessing down. Remember Daniel prayed 21 days, didn't hear a word for 21 days, and the angel finally came and said, I got held up in the heavenlies by the prince of Persia, but I heard your, da- your prayer the first day you prayed. And now I stand before you, and here's your answer. So many of us give up too soon, or we think God didn't hear, or you hear this voice, you know what you did last week. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. Don't expect God to answer your prayers. And so we quit and give up. But the Lord heard your prayer the first time, and many times, immediately, the blessing has left the third heaven, and there's war in the second heaven and your blessing is held up, doesn't mean it's not coming, but you have to wait upon the Lord and continue to pray, continue to worship him. I'm not saying beg. I'm saying continue to stand in faith and pray and worship the Lord until you get your blessing. Amen? So what is happening here in this scripture, this is a transference. The priest puts his hands on the goat, confesses his sin, and all just like you know when you slay the bull and you put the blood on the altar it's the bull's blood we don't do animal blood now because of Jesus but it's a picture all that sin of the children of Israel goes on to the goat he bears the the sins transgressions and iniquities and it says putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness now this let's see what this next slide is and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities into a land not inhabited and he shall go he shall let go the goat in the wilderness there you go that's a picture of the priest confessing over the goat the high priest See, he's in the holy linen garments. He's not wearing his breastplate and the golden tashes and the golden miter, you know, all that gold stuff. He's not wearing that. No bells on his borders of his garment. This is what I call slave clothes. Of When they came out of Egypt, they were slaves. Anyway... Okay, let's go back up here. Where it says, send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. You won't find this in the 
King James Bible, but according to Jewish tradition, they would take a, a strong young man, and I don't know how many of you have been to Israel before, but let me just tell you, there's lots of sand and rocks, and uh, it looks like a wilderness. You know, I wouldn't want to be left out in Israel 30 miles away from a city and all by myself with no cell phone and no water because it looks like, you know, you might see one little shrub growing somewhere, but it, it looks pretty barren. It doesn't look pretty. A lot of rocks, right, Sunni? A lot of rocks, a lot of hills. It, it looks like a, a desert. So they would take the goat, that they put the sins on the goat, and a young man would take this goat. No, they don't just walk him out of town and set him free. They walk him like 20 miles out of town into the wilderness and then they cut the goat loose the way this is working and supposed to work is if the goat see the goat they're actually pretty smart and you know if somebody took you 20 miles out of town and cut you loose you'd want to go back town so you get something to eat and drink right well the goat does too he wants to come back if the goat comes back, the curse is not broken. But if the goat dies in the wilderness, the curse is broken. And I'm telling you, you're not going to find that in the Bible, but that's the Jewish tradition. I just want you to know it's a picture. of, And, and so the Jews used to take the goat out to a high cliff because sometimes the goat would come back. They'd just kick the goat over the edge and he would die. The Lord didn't like that. It's unscriptural. You can't kill the goat. He has to die in the wilderness of hunger, starvation, or some wild beast. But that's what they do. They take the goat out 20 miles, cut him loose, and of course he wants to come back, right? This is a picture of consequences. You put your foot over here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then you repent and come to church. We have church. I'm clean, i got to deal with God, and then we go back out and put our foot in it. You know, these consequences are building up. you got the door open, and you don't know what's going to come and get on you. But if you're walking holy before the Lord, you don't have to worry about consequences. Because the curse is broken. You're acclimating it into your life. And if you've never sinned, well, you can't not never have sinned, but let's say you're not in... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Any known, you're not practicing over and over and over sin, but there's some curse that's on your bloodline. You can repent for that. Repent for the ancestors. Ask the Lord to forgive. Confess those sins. Repent for the ancestors. And then repent for yourself and break the curse. It's really quite simple. It's so simple that a lot of people just, they miss it because it's, it's really simple. See, Jesus, when he said it is finished, we can acclimate that to our life and get these things wiped off. Okay, Genesis. Now, this is also, this is, this is Pastor Lou talking here. This, well, this is scripture. It says, Genesis 1-2, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I like to 
take this scripture and say, this is the wilderness. It was without form and without void. In the Hebrew, the without, you can look this up at Wikipedia. They call it tohu wabuhu or tohu vavuhu. In the Septuagint, which is Greek, it's called unseen and unformed. You know, in the spirit realm, there's an unseen realm. And sometimes it's unformed because we can't make it out. But I call that the wilderness. And so they send the goat, sorry, they send the goat out into the wilderness. The wilderness is full of confusion and emptiness. You think this doesn't attach to people. I see it all the time on Yahoo uh, is my web page, my opening web page and headline come across some Hollywood movie star, 30 years old, dead, committed suicide. Why? They are empty. It looks like they got lots of money, they're famous, everything's going really good, but you know inside they're empty. And so they're confused. You know, how many times does the enemy come to screw up our head? You know, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. He tells us who we are not, see? And so when he comes to Pastor Lou, I go, shut your mouth, devil. I'm a son of God. I'm washed in the blood. I can do all things through Christ. You know how it goes. You fight that battle too, right? You tell him who he is and to shut up and leave. So confusion confusion and emptiness is a perfect example of how these spirits operate. It's a desolate place. And sometimes we can feel desolate, right? When we first got saved, Sunni, I said she gets candy because God's speaking to her, giving her visions, dreams, talking to her, a lot of activity. And then <clears throat> that went on for about three years. And then all of a sudden, boop, the window of heaven shut. And uh, she's going like, where are you, God? He didn't talk for a while. Not like he was. You know, he had to... Hmm, you know, Sunni was a tough case, so he had to prove to her, you know, she's, you know, the gears are moving, like, you have to prove to me that this is God and that you're real, and so he did that for three years, but then he stopped talking all the time to her, and she's in that desolate place, but that doesn't mean he's not with us, amen, he's still with us. But he wants us, you know, now that he, you know, like a little baby, you have a little baby, goo, 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 you know, you play with them. After a while, they grow up. You don't treat them like that, you know. You begin to talk to them like an adult. And so they're not getting candy all the time. You don't give them their way and pat them, you know. You, sometimes you spank their butt, right? <laughs> right? Okay, here's the scripture for that, Isaiah 3411. I talked uh, probably a month ago about this particular scripture. This is um, the beasts of the field talk. But it says, A comorant, which is a bird, and the bittern, also a bird, shall possess it. The owl, also, and the raven shall dwell in it. And he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. This is the wilderness. You send these goats out into the lost place. No, the goat wants to come back. When he comes back, he brings all this trash back into your life. Is there another picture of the scapegoat in the New Testament? I heard one yes, two yeses. Where would that be? Barabbas. Amen. 
It's a picture. Matthew 27, 15, and 16. Now, at that feast of the governor, what feast? The f- that This particular feast was Passover, and they did that before they crucified Jesus. When Pilate was washing his hands, I find no fault in him, then they set Barabbas out. But it says, at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had a notable prisoner. He was a bad you know, Sinbad the goat. I call him Sinbad. But anyway, his name was Barabbas. He was a criminal. And they released Barabbas unto them. And when they had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. They go, crucify him, release Barabbas. Pilate was like dumbfounded. That's why he goes like, I can't believe you want to kill an innocent man. I wash my hands of this. I'm free of the blood. Well... I don't think so. Me and Sunni, we love goats. There's Mrs. Young holding two of the babies. We love them. And that is the message today. So how do you break curses? You do it with your words, just like you cast out a demon. Uh, break the curse. First, you want to remit the sins of the ancestors, if you have it. I could spend another hour with you teaching how to recognize a curse. Maybe I'll do that another time, another place. And we have taught some of that here. But if you have that, we can break it with you. And you can break it on your own. So we have been banned from YouTube from Prophecy Club, and they have a new channel called Prophecy with Stan. So we want you all to support Prophecy with Stan and go home and click like and share and subscribe so that the channel can grow, and hopefully it will continue to stay alive and not be banned. So that is the scapegoat teaching today, and um, I want to thank you for coming, and if you need prayer, I would like you to come forward, and Eni and Suni and myself can pray for you if you think you got a curse or you need healing or anything else. We will pray for you. So thank you for coming. Also online, continue to support, and thank you for your support, all of you. We, we are... Um, Stan and Leslie are in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the door is open for Pakistan. Can't think of where else. Cambodia, Honduras, and uh, we got other places. So we thank you for your support. And um, God bless you. And uh, Pastor Stan and Leslie will be here next Sunday. You can see their bright and smiling faces, and they'll have a testimony about Saudi Arabia. God bless everyone.